The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is Jonathan Ruth here, your guest host today. It's a beautiful fall day here in New England, uh, this 28th day of September 2015, and I'm really, really excited to have on our show today, Dr. Margaret Werenberg, who will be talking with us about anxiety and depression, two of the most common complaints in therapy and two of the most common reasons why people seek treatment. Dr. Werenberg is a licensed clinical psychologist and an expert on the treatment of anxiety and depression. She has extensive training and expertise in the neurobiology of psychological disorders. She earned her Master's of Arts degree specializing in psychodrama and play therapy with children. She was trained in addictions counseling and has years of experience in that field, working with the U.S. Army in Germany as well as working with Lutheran Social Services in Illinois before beginning a private psychotherapy practice. Since obtaining her doctorate from the Illinois School of Professional Psychology, she has specialized in treating clients with trauma and anxiety disorders. In addition to her clinical work, Dr. Werenberg is the author of six books on anxiety and depression, including titles such as The Anxious Brain, Anxiety Plus Depression, and The Ten Best Anxiety Busters. So it's my pleasure to, uh, to welcome you on the show, Dr. Werenberg, Margaret, and uh, again, thank you for being here today to talk about a topic which is really, really common in our, uh, in our country and in the world, and, and that topic is uh, people suffering from anxiety and depression. Well, thank you for inviting me, and I hope that we'll be able to communicate some of the great hope there is for uh, handling those two conditions, especially when people are also in recovery from addictions or living with someone who's in recovery. Great. You know, um, you know, just as, as a, the intro to the show, we talk about you know anxiety and depression being two of the most common complaints in therapy, and, and in my uh, in my experience, they're two of the most uh, common reasons why people seek out treatment in the first place. Would you agree with that? I absolutely would agree with that. It seems to me, as I, I've been in this working in the field of mental health for 40 years now, it seems that no matter what other issues are going on, anxiety and depression are components of those. Sometimes they're the complaint by itself, but they're almost always at least a component of other problems that people experience also. Yeah. Well, I wonder, too, if if our understanding of anxiety and depression, although, you know, people present with different symptoms, um, you know, the the notion of seeking help for these conditions maybe seems a little bit easier nowadays than than it once did. Just just as in a, the world of addictions, people are less 
uh, stigmatized for depression and anxiety, although certainly some still exist, some of the stigma. And I think it's so unfortunate because we have so many ways to help and so many ways to help that don't involve taking medications, uh, which is always... It seems, at least in America, that's the first fallback, but I want to be the voice for how much psychotherapy can help, too. I think that's a really an excellent point, um, and I think it's, uh, it's very common that when people first start to experience depression or anxiety, the first person they tell may be their primary care physician. Exactly, and primary care physicians are trained to solve problems with medical interventions, which mm-hmm. are primarily for depression, the class of meds called the SSRIs, and there's also medications that calm anxiety down. And the reality is that medication doesn't teach you anything. Medication may give you some relief for a while or maybe even for a longer while, but it doesn't tell you or teach you how to relieve yourself of these symptoms. And if you want to get off the medications, it might be a good idea to learn how to do that using your own mind and your own decisions and your own lifestyle to give you a calmer, less depressed being. And I think that's a message that's so important to people is that we, we affect our own depression and anxiety every day just by our own lifestyle. Um, stress, of course, being a huge cause of both depression and anxiety but also comes with stress is sometimes poor self-care. And Mm -hmm. I don't need to hammer away at this point because we hear it everywhere, but it's really true. You need to eat healthfully. You need to get exercise every day, and if you can do it outside, even better. And you need to get enough sleep at night. And those are the three things people give up when they feel like their lives are under stress. They stop sleeping enough, they stop eating healthfully, and they definitely stop exercising when they feel like they just don't have time. And yet that's what we need for mental health as well as physical health. Right. Well, you know, it's, um, it is amazing when, you know, when people are under stress, they give up the things that actually provide protection from stress and protection from anxiety. And, uh, I mean, I'm, to me that just seems like an interesting phenomenon in and of itself that, um, you know, when those things start to fall off, and, you know, that's, that's when troublesome symptoms start to really get in the way. Well, and I like the way you put that, the protection against the impact of stress. It's exactly what it is. It helps us be resilient. And I, and I know that when people are depressed in particular, uh, the energy to do good self-care seems to just drain away. And raising up energy when people are depressed is a big challenge to do it naturally. And I want to let people really be aware that moving your body, which you may say, oh, I don't have the energy to move, but moving around, especially even if it's as little as taking walks or walking your dog an extra 10 minutes, that can really boost your energy over the course of a day. Uh, But Mm -hmm. when we're depressed, sometimes it feels like it's hard to move at all. Yeah. the ideas of uh, what we do in depression, not moving, also means we tend to isolate. And, boy, that's a key problem for both people in depression and people in recovery from addiction. 
is mm-hmm. uh, isolating from people that care about us, isolating from friendships, isolating from productive activity, and it can lead to depression worsening. And uh, as people who work program also know, isolation can eventually uh, make it uh, easier to relapse, can make you less uh, able to follow your program and less able to deal with stress in another way other than relapse. So um, it's quite important to be connected to other people. Right. Well, I think um, that's a really important point that, you know, sometimes uh, gets overlooked in the hustle and bustle of our, you know, the kind of society we live in now, right? I mean, we're, we're so connected online in a digital way, but, um, you know, that doesn't necessarily equate to having meaningful interaction with other humans that helps, you know, produce endorphins and, and um, uh, you know, help us sort of feel connected. It's one thing to say I'm your friend on Facebook, right? But totally another thing to say I'm the friend that you can, like, call and we can go out to coffee together with. It is It is so true. And uh, I, I am a person who, you know, likes my technology, but I also want people to, that I work with. I talk a lot about the difference between having a conversation and texting as, as one prime example of using media to connect with people as a text messaging phenomenon, that yeah. people conduct whole relationships by text. It's, it's fine to just share information, what time does the bus leave kind of stuff. But what yeah. I think... Um, you, you were alluding to is when we are face-to-face and voice-to-voice with the people who love us, we feel it very differently than we feel it over Facebook or texting or other kinds of media. Um, the, uh, there's an old, old expression, the eyes are the window to the soul. And mm-hmm. the eyes are the way that we feel connected to other people. I will tell you, FaceTime helps, but it's not the same thing as having that exact connection. And hearing a voice is actually, this is really true. If it's a voice of someone you love, as long as you're not fighting, the voice of someone you love actually calms down your nervous system. So voice-to-voice is so much more powerful than word-to-word digitally. Yeah. So That's getting really, together with people, a big, big, big boost for depression and a great reassurance for anxiety. Right. I mean, in some ways, it's um, it, it seems a cure in and of itself just to you know to be able to be around people that you feel supportive or supported by, um, and uh, yet something that you know is so difficult for somebody who's who's feeling depressed and uh, you know who's who's you know on the low energy of the spectrum. Yes. So I would like to mention a couple of ways that people can begin to mobilize themselves when they are in order to get connected with people. I know sometimes it's a, I don't want to take off my pajamas. I just want to sit and watch TV or play computer games or watch Netflix on my iPad. Well, get, get some clothes on, go outside, go down to the nearest convenience store, even if it's just to buy a pack of gum, but make sure you say hello to the cashier. 
Look at people that are walking by you on the street and smile because what's going to happen is that people who look back are going to smile back at you. And you start to feel like, oh, I'm actually visible. There are people who, are, know, who know that I'm here. That, that like, counteracts that feeling of, of ghost-like um, mm-hmm. depression that people get. And another way to seriously help yourself if you're depressed and you know that your tendency is to isolate is to make commitments to get together with people ahead of time. And by that, even things that you're obligated to, volunteer to coach a team, a volleyball team, a baseball team, even if you're just the assistant coach to the four-year-old soccer team. You've made an obligation to be there, and it kind of pulls you out of the house. Even better is um, if people are in recovery and working a 12-step model, absolutely, your meetings are key. And this is why the program is so valuable to people who are depressed, is to have a phone list, a sponsor, meetings you can go to every day. And for people who have a home group, if you're not there, people wonder where you are. They call you. They check on you. That is absolutely powerful medicine for depression. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. You, know, you mentioned the the the, uh, the convenience store example, and you know sometimes it really is just that simple, right? And even though it feels, you know, we talk about you know when people are depressed, like the phone feels like it weighs six thousand pounds, or you know anything just feels so heavy. But but just that little bit of effort to go and and uh, you know have an interaction that in and of itself you know would not normally be you know, in, intended as a way to boost your self-esteem, right? You you go to the grocery store or the convenience store to pick up a gallon of milk on your way home or whatnot. But, the you know, the value of that, that face-to-face connection and, like you said, hearing somebody's voice, it's reaffirming of your own humanity. It absolutely is. And if you have the will to do just a little bit more, if you make an effort when you are encountering that person to say something positive to them. Um, And it doesn't have to be wildly outrageous or um, even it could just be something as, boy, it's nice to see your big smile, thank you. Or, um, you know, you're always so friendly when I come into the store, I appreciate it. Or um, if you're at the store at 1 in the morning, I'm so happy that you're willing to work this late, late shift Thanks for being here. You can say a kind word to people, and here's what will happen. They will look back at you and smile and say thank you or you're welcome or um, you will get, it's in the world of positive psychology, they call it pro-social reciprocity. If you can make one little movement to smile or be kind, you get a much bigger helping of smile and kindness back most of the time, okay? I, I talked to one depressed person the other day who said, yeah, well, what if they don't smile? You know, a lot of people don't smile when you smile at them. And I was saying, that's, that's the voice of a depressed person. Um, right. Well, just the act of, the, of smiling can in and of itself produce something good for you. Well, these are wonderful tips, and uh, I know you've got a lot more. We're going to talk about the 10 best anxiety busters when we come back from break. And uh, for our listeners, we're going to be back in just a couple minutes after this quick break.
You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelley's Show and Tell with host Shelley Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers. We'll motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. And good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier. And we are pleased today to be talking with uh, Dr. Margaret Warenberg, who is a licensed clinical psychologist and an expert on the treatment of anxiety and depression. And just before the break, we were really talking about some uh, helpful ways to um, to sort of move yourself beyond uh, you know a period of time when you're depressed, and some some really simple strategies for uh, making connections with others. Um, when you're feeling depressed, and um, you know, Dr. Werenberg, I, I uh, you know, it seems that there's um, we talk a lot about depression as sort of a one-size-fits-all category, but um, you know, you're, you've described uh, in some of your books the diff- that there are different types of depression. Is that right? Yes, and this is this is my way of looking at it based on many years of clinical work and many years of uh, reading research on the topic. I think some people are born with a neurochemistry that leads pretty much straight to depression, and that I, I call, it's endogenous depression. Sort of, I call it the brain you were born with. Some people say, I think I've been depressed all my life. And if we exclude people at the moment from our conversation who are suicidally depressed or so depressed they aren't even getting out of bed, that kind of a person really should be in a hospitalization kind of program. But if they're not that depressed, if they're still going to work every day, even though they're not doing a lot of other stuff, I think that the the person who's got this sort of depressed neurophysiology has to uh, immediately start saying to themselves, part of my depression, or depression has caused me to think negatively. I can choose to think differently. And I choose to think positive thoughts about myself because the, using the power of your thinking brain at, over time creates amazing change. This is the person who should be very careful about lifestyle, as I mentioned earlier. 
exercising, mm-hmm. eating right, etc., because your brain really needs that kind of health to combat depression. And I think that this person who sort of has that innate negativity because their brain is literally on the lookout for it can really benefit from therapy to plan alternate ways of thinking and alternate ways of managing simple lifestyle things. So some real coaching about getting through this is very helpful. But some people end up depressed because they've undergone a significant period of stress. And I don't, most of us learn over time to, to cope with the stresses we have. But sometimes things happen. You go through a period of time where, um, let's say that, that you are taking care of someone in your family who's ill and you're devoting several months in a row of sort of and, uh, continuous care. That can be exhausting. Um, let's say that you're a single parent working uh, full-time and you have children to care for. That's pretty stressful because it's pretty much 24-7 on, on duty with a family and jobs and not a lot of other relief. Or perhaps the stress comes from um, trying to keep, uh, your, keep your job or keep your business afloat, working 12, 14 hours a day, day after day without breaks or vacations. That, all of that can end up causing you to be depressed. And if you have that kind of situational stress, not only is self-care important, but learning to manage balance in your life becomes significant. And I really want people to, that I work with to work with me on uh, greater efficiency of time and also mm-hmm. balance, getting in some fun and getting in particularly some rest. But there's a third category of depression. And you'll have to tell me if I'm talking too fast, I could, I could no, slow down fine. on some of this. Okay. Um, but I, this, this, the third category... Uh, it really falls to people who've been traumatized, either a one-time trauma and then even more significantly a fourth category for people who've been traumatized by abuse early in their life. Um, People with that kind of history are almost without exception going to benefit enormously from having psychotherapy because the repercussions of trauma ripple through our lives and... And yes, some people do very, very well and live very productive lives, even though they've had difficulties. But it's hard to see exactly how the trauma might be interfering. And I think uh, very often with trauma, uh, I see people uh, who get overwhelmed by a feeling of helplessness. And they mm-hmm. tend, partly because of their biology, after you've been traumatized, you're brain literally overreacts to small stresses with a big physical stress response. You, you can't, it's not your fault. It just is a big response. And right. uh, they feel smaller stresses much more keenly. And the other thing is that sometimes small things happen and a person with a history of trauma will fall very rapidly into a feeling of helplessness feeling that there's nothing they can do. Um, I, I recently had a phone call with a client who had kind of a disappointing experience. It wasn't a big, big deal. She had expected um, 
a social engagement to be much more fantastic than it really was. And she felt very disappointed, but so much more disappointed um, than, than a person without depression. But she uh-huh. fell into a state of helplessness, saying things like, I can never make anything go right. I shouldn't always expect so much. I'll never have the kind of joyfulness that I want. And it just became a roll down the hill. And that's yep. when people tend to do self-destructive behavior. Um, so what so I'd like somebody to... who's had somebody who's uh, in that situation, they may not really be able to identify that this is linked to something that's happened to them in the past, right? Exactly. So I want them to do either with me in a session or in a journaling way that they then talk about it with someone else. I would like them to write, and this is like, it's like a journaling technique, but it's not just sitting and writing stream of consciousness. I want them to write what just happened, literally just the details, and then what did I feel in my body, literally physical sensations. Uh, I got a pain above my left eyebrow. My stomach suddenly felt sour. Uh, I felt tingly everywhere. I want the literal physical sensations. And then I would like that person to ask themselves and write the answer, Have, what is the youngest age I ever felt this feeling? Uh-huh. And it's not what's the youngest age I got disappointed by social engagement. It's like what's the youngest age I felt this physical feeling? And it is surprising really, how easy it is to make that determination. And then the next question is, can I get a picture of myself having that feeling when I was four or nine or, Mm. you know? And then I want them to say, what else was going on around me? Who was there? What was happening? Kind of just describe like you're coloring in a picture around the vision of yourself, just what were the details. And then the final question is, is there any way in which that situation from when I was young, is there any way that that is similar to what just happened to me? And I will tell you that that has a very powerful ability to connect how the past ripples into the future. And you begin to, to... understand yourself better, which makes it easier to get out of the depression. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's really, um, I mean, that sounds like a really great technique and because it is so important to look at, you know, how past events influence our, our development, our response to the environment. And, you know, it's interesting because today it seems like so many therapies are just designed to help you with, you know, coping in the moment as opposed to also sort of looking at, you know, where does that come from? Maybe not necessarily to, to dive into it and, and you know, in a, in a real psychoanalytical way, but just to help make the connection that that happened then mm-hmm. and I'm responding to the world in the same way I did then when I was that age and I have an opportunity to change my response now. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually, you can't see it, but I'm on my end of this conversation grinning because when I started out in therapy, that was what we did, make connections, work through history and events and childhood and so on. And I think the press of fi- the financial realities of therapy, the, the pressure of pharmaceutical companies to regard drugs as a first-line treatment instead of, at times, extremely necessary 
form of treatment, but to regard them as the treatment, and then the pressure from insurance companies to get the shortest treatment you possibly can. All of those things have led people to believe therapy should not take very long. And right. you should finish it in 10 sessions. But, but you know, a lot of our clients need more um, time to reflect and to change and to grow than that. A lot can get done short term. Absolutely yeah. it can. I'm, yep. I'm all for helping you manage your panic attacks, like, in weeks instead of in months. But I also want to really highlight what you said about the need for connections. Yeah. Um, but if we have a minute, there's also a shorter way to do part of what I just said, which is to sure. stop the slide into catastrophe. If you can, all you need to do is stop yourself when you're feeling like, oh, this is awful, this is terrible, why does it always happen to me? Stop and ask, is this, in fact, a catastrophe? Is there a catastrophic outcome? Like, let's say you get a flat tire. Oh, my gosh, and you go into a terrible, I'm always the one with bad luck, and this is the end of the world, and, you know, stop and say, seriously, is this catastrophic? Or is it, in fact, really just an inconvenience? Or is it, in fact, a major inconvenience? So what is the, if you have to pay for a new tire, okay, that's pretty inconvenient. Maybe it's expensive, but is it, in fact, catastrophic? Usually the answer will be no, okay? And if you just can ask yourself, minor inconvenience, major inconvenience, or catastrophe, you can really pull back your stress level about it. Right. Well, it's very empowering, too, because then you can look at things from the standpoint of, okay, what solution can I apply here as opposed to the whole world is out to get me. Um, I'm never going to get anywhere on time because my tires are always going to get flat. Exactly. You know, and those are the kinds of things that also lead people to feel incredibly anxious because now they say, no, my boss is going to fire me because I have the flat tire. And now they start ruminating about it and thinking about it. And why did I drive down the road that way that day? And, you know, and then if you start now going to rumination, which is kind of a crossover symptom between depression and anxiety, now you can really rev your anxiety up too. Right. Right. Well, speaking of crossing over, I think this is a, a, a great point for us to pick up uh, after the next commercial break, and we can talk a little bit more about what anxiety looks like and, and the different forms of anxiety, but also what are some of the strategies that people can use um, when they start to feel anxious. So we'll be back uh, just after the break. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey. 
breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuzo to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. And good afternoon again, everybody, and welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Jonathan Ruthier, your guest host. And we're speaking with Dr. Margaret Warenberg, who's an expert in treatment of anxiety and depression. Uh, we've been talking about different forms of depression and some of the strategies that people can use to, uh, to help themselves when they're feeling depressed, and also just trying to gain a better understanding of some of the um, social influences on depression and, uh, and anxiety. So, um, you know, uh, Margaret, as we go into uh, our next segment, um, you know, we started talking a little bit about the crossover symptoms between depression and anxiety. And we know that um, anxiety is a, uh, well, both depression and anxiety are major causes for people to um, to look for treatment. And um, But sometimes anxiety is a little bit difficult to um, to sort of put your finger on, isn't it? I mean, we've got a lot of worries in our world. And, um, you know, where does it, get to a point where somebody who's got a lot of worry should be thinking about getting some help with that? You know, what an excellent question because I think there are times when people don't realize how much worry causes them to become irritable, preoccupied, interferes with their attention or concentration, or just robs them of joy because every day is filled with worrying about whether they've made a mistake or whether things are going to turn out all right. And I always want to ask people, how much time do you spend worrying? If you can answer that, you're probably worrying too much. Because in reality, every person has anxiety. And we feel anxiety when we are facing ambiguity. When we just really don't know what's going on or what to expect, we feel anxious. That's a normal human feeling. And then what we do about it is we try to figure it out. We, you know, like if I don't know what's happening, I'm going to say, well, what if this is what's happening or what if that is what ha- what's happening? And the minute I can figure it out, my anxiety goes away. The problem with anxiety disorders is that as people become increasingly anxious or they are developing an anxiety disorder, there's always a neurochemical component that makes it very hard to shift your mind away from worrying to something more productive. One of the questions I want people to ask themselves is, is this a real problem? Because if it's a real problem, I will not fail to notice it. I will be able to say, yes, this is a real problem. For example, I don't know how I'm going to pay the rent on Friday. 
and I'm not really sure where the money's going to come from. Now, it doesn't help me a bit to come up with money if I just keep going, oh, no, what if, what if I can't pay? What if I can't pay? What if I can't pay? It helps me a lot more if I make a plan. Here, right. I, I, my, my problem is I don't have enough money. My goal is being able to pay the rent. Um, I will now make a series of action steps, what I can do to figure out getting the money. And then I have to follow the action steps to see which ones will produce the money. Try to work an extra shift, try to take a loan from my brother, try to ask somebody to pay me back who owes me money. Those could all be action steps. Yep. Okay? In the meantime, I'm following my steps. When the thought comes, oh, no, what if I can't pay? I go, stop. I have a plan. So I need to do thought stopping and then follow my plan. Um, And sometimes everything just works out. And sometimes we say, yeah, my plan didn't work. Now I need to find, figure out a new plan. But if, if it's a not real problem, if you're worrying about something but there's nothing you can do about it, you can't control it, you, you know, then it's anxiety. And, and I like to tell people to employ the uh, technique in the, in the book that you mentioned called Stop and Swap. In the Anxiety Busters book, um, there's a section on when you're thinking about something and there's no good reason to think about it, it's just that you're worried. What if I fail? What if I fail? What if I fail? What if I get sick? What, what if my plane is late? What if my plane is late? When you go through those thoughts over and over in your mind, you can't control whether the plane's late. You're worrying about it isn't going to fix that. Um, all you need to do is say to yourself, stop, which, of course, if you just could that easily, it, my, my work would be done. <laughs> but you then have to swap another thought in, and that's what people don't always do. You need right. to have a thought replacement, and it helps to plan ahead of time what you want your thought replacement to be. So, for example, it could simply be, you know, people that listen uh, to this show are probably oriented towards recovery. Say the serenity prayer. Say one of the slogans from the program. Even better, best thought replacement is just sing out loud. Turn on the radio and sing along or sing songs that you know by heart. That's a great thought replacement. Another possibility is to plan ahead of time. What I really should be thinking about today is I should be um, thinking about uh, how I'm going to handle that project of building shelves in my uh, living room this weekend. What do I need to do to make that work? Just something productive to think about. Um, you could also think about something fun. Think about something you did last weekend that was fun. Think about watching your favorite sports team and play, replay that game in your head. Um, it can be almost it's anything like, as long as it's not the worry. And so when the worry comes up, oh, no, the what if, right. what if, then it's stop and swap. So, and it seems like, I mean, really the, the technique and, and the work is all about having some sort of awareness that there's something going on here that's not getting you where you want to be and then replacing it with something that, you know, is more productive for you or, or at least is, you know, a distraction from the thing that's causing you to worry. So, and I'm wondering, you know, um, you know, so much of our work is, is about changing, uh, changing behaviors, but we're also changing 
how the brain works, right? Right. And, you know, I know you talk a lot in this book about using your brain to change your brain. Right. Um, so I wonder if you could if you say more about that. Absolutely. Um, when you think a thought repeatedly, your brain gets, the, the physical brain gets the idea that you need to think that thought. It doesn't matter if you really do or don't, but if you think it a lot, your brain is going to start literally providing more blood supply, more white matter, glial cell support so that the processing of the thought is faster and easier to access. And now instead of a little worry path in your brain, you've got a worry superhighway in your brain. You can get on the the on-ramp and go really fast because you've got good blood supply and good white matter supply to make that thought really powerful. Well, you can make a decision, literally. That thought is useless. It does not help me, and I'm going to interrupt it every time it comes up. And when you interrupt it and then think a different thought, because you decided you were going to do that and you planned ahead what thought to swap, Mm -hmm. you sort of, the brain goes, oh, maybe you didn't need that, and it, it starts, it, it, changes so that there's no longer that blood supply and there's no longer that extra support to make the thought fast and strong. And you sort of erase the trace of the worry. But you've got to get off the worry superhighway in order for that to happen. And that's why I want people to have a thought planned ahead. But, you know, sometimes people don't want to give up their worry, Jonathan. (laughs) Sometimes they want to keep it because they believe, for example, if I worry about it, then I'll really, really be careful. And I need it to stay vigilant for trouble. And you know what? You don't really need to worry. But that's where fine-tuning a little bit comes in handy to say, why are we worrying? And I want to make sure that people don't have sort of subtle messages, well, I better worry about this because it's important. You don't have to worry about it. You just need a plan. Right. Um, Well, that is a really great point. And, And I think it's something that's really missed a lot in terms of, um, you know, working, uh, for instance, working with trauma. I mean, people have, uh, you know, uh, when we talk about PTSD and defense mechanisms, you know, we're talking about things that have helped provide some level of protection, uh, you know, to somebody emotionally or, or physically, you know, from from some hurt. And the uh, sort of the, the empowering choice of being able to say, you know, hey, I... That's that's for that situation, and this is for this situation, and you know I don't have to keep that guard up all the time. I can just try to take some steps to um, and to solve this dilemma for myself, or to deal with the problem as I see it uh, in the moment. It's a, it's absolutely right, Jonathan, and I, you made a, a point about this protection is something I only need in certain circumstances. Um, Let's say that there is a person um, who uh, was abusive to you in the past, verbally, physically, and you don't see that person every day. You don't have to walk around all, all day thinking, got to stay away from him, got to stay away from him, got to stay away from him. All you have to do is decide how you're going to take care of yourself should you be in that person's presence. And then... Say to yourself, I know how to take care of myself. I have a plan. 
Now, I understand what I just said is fairly simplistic. That's a, probably a much longer process, but it's the basic bones of it. Is you don't need to worry if you're not in the situation at the moment. The other, there, there are a couple of other things about worrying. Is that people with anxiety tend to get very preoccupied by their anxiety, mm-hmm. and and yeah. as a result, they can fail to pay attention to what's going on around them. One of the lessons from mindfulness is that if you are in the moment noticing what's happening now instead of worrying about what's going to happen next or thinking about what happened before, it's, it's unlikely to be anxious if you're just in this moment. And so we want to practice keep returning your attention to the present. You know, so if you're fretting about what's going to happen tomorrow, say yes, okay, and now I am here in this moment in the present. Um, and I want to distinguish between worry and the need to make a plan. Once you've got a plan made, you just say, oh, stop, I have a plan, and then you bring your attention back to the minute that you're in. Right. But, but you can't say that unless you actually planned how to be cautious tomorrow. That's Right. Right. Well, that's a great point. And, you know, I think um, sometimes we, we trip ourselves up with saying, well, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to worry about paying my rent on Friday because I'm going to just stay in the moment now. But if I don't have that plan to make sure I can still pay the rent on Friday, then Friday's still going to come. <laughs> you know, you, you still have to take care of the rent. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, I... Uh, just before we go to break here, I just uh, again I wanted to say how how helpful these thoughts are, and, and I hope our listeners are are tuning into the importance of um, just sort of you know being able to sort of challenge your thoughts in the moment. And when we come back, uh, I think it would be great if we could talk a little bit about how what techniques people use to get into the moment. You know, take uh, paying attention to their breath and things that you've talked about uh, in your book. So we're going to go to break, and uh, we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everybody, to One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier. And we are speaking with Dr. Margaret Warenberg, who is a clinical psychologist and an expert on the treatment of anxiety and depression. Uh, so, Margaret, before the break, we talked a little bit about uh, how people can uh, start to work on managing their own symptoms of anxiety. And we, we've been talking a lot about worry and um, sort of negative thinking and um, how people can start to get you know, a better handle on themselves when they start to feel like they're, um, you know, they're having trouble with anxiety. Um, and, you know, we mentioned um, some, some breathing techniques or, or started to talk a little bit about, you know, the importance of breath and um, how people can sort of get to, them, you know, get to be in the, in the moment. So um, I thought it would be helpful for our listeners if you would talk a little bit about uh, the, some of the different breathing techniques that you've mentioned in the 10 Best Anxiety Busters. Absolutely, because uh, breath is just the way that we get centered in ourselves and calm our physiology down. Um, breathing is going to calm your body down if you do it. The way to breathe that is the most effective for that purpose is sometimes called diaphragmatic breathing, and it's, it's simpler than it sounds. It's breathing very slowly in through your nose, and at a pace that's comfortable until you're just filled with breath, and then exhaling through your mouth. Uh, but the exhale should be longer than the inhale if you're feeling very worked up or very panicky um, because when we're panicky, uh, we tend to breathe rapidly and shallowly, you know, panting breath, and yep. that can cause us to have all kinds of symptoms like dizziness and depersonalization, which is the sense that, boy, you, you just feel like you're suddenly walked into an unfamiliar place, even though you've been there day after day. So it's a weird feeling. And the, the fix for that is to breathe in this very slow, centered way, in through the nose, out through the mouth, longer exhale than inhale. But there are also some other uh, ways to um, create just a general sense of awareness that is centered in self and in the moment. Um, one way to do that is to, and you can do this wherever you are, you don't need a special room or a dark room or special quiet music. All you need to do wherever you are is uh, preferably feet on the floor, but just start, even if you're like participating in a meeting or sitting in a classroom or uh, just feeling anxious in a social gathering, just start breathing in through your nose uh, slowly and then out through your nose slowly. Nobody's going to notice you're doing like a breathing technique, but the idea here is to breathe in as slowly as you can just to the point where you feel filled with air and then exhale slowly through the nose to the point where you just feel emptied. And do that ten times. But while you're doing it, be aware of the breath. What you're doing now is just getting into the, the moment of, of breath, what it feels like. Notice the temperature of the air as you breathe in, how cool it feels. Notice how warm it feels when you breathe out. Notice how the flow of air feels different on an in-breath 
and an out breath. And in the space of a few breaths, you really can get to a place of being like calmed and centered and feeling like you're in your body. And once you've done that, you can look around and become an observer. What's happening here? Who's talking? Who's missing? What events are going on? What am I? And do another aspect to get into the moment and feel like safe or at least present in the moment. It's called a five senses check-in. Just stop what you're thinking and turn your attention to your five senses and notice what you see, what you hear, what you smell, what you taste, and what you feel on your skin or are touching with your hands or feet or skin. Um, Rooting yourself in your five senses can be very grounding in the moment. So those are the breath and the the five senses check-in are really good ways to come into the moment. And um, if it's a little more complex situation, just let yourself function as if you are the detective in your own life. Look around. What are you observing? Detectives observe before they draw conclusions, at least if they're any good at their work. Um, They observe. And right now there are lots of shows on TV about detecting. But the idea is uh, be the detective in your own life. What's going on? What are the motives of the people around you? But before you even speculate on that, what are they saying? What are they doing? How are other people reacting to that? And it can be very calming to have that sort of mental step back. So those are some ideas I would throw out for people to get a little calmer in their body and a little more present in the moment. You know, one of the one of the things that is really, really fantastic about this discussion is, you know, we're talking about techniques that people can use. They can have they can use them anywhere at any time. They don't need a prescription. They're not altering their their uh, their mood necessarily by you know having a drink, taking a drug. Um, they're just changing their brain chemistry in a positive way by paying attention to what's going on in their body. And, Absolutely. You know, that's you know in our society where it's it's just we've gotten absolutely so comfortable with taking pills as a way of uh dealing with stress or dealing with our life situations that you know uh, to really be able to kind of just refocus on the basics of hey I'm I'm a human being here I have some tools right on board all the time I have my breath I have my my mind I have my senses and um, and those can all give me great information about how I can help myself if I'm feeling anxious or, or, or sad. Absolutely. And when I talk about use your brain to change your brain, you make a conscious decision to breathe. It's a decision you make. You cha- you're changing your behavior. You're changing the way that you're taking air. And by the way, you don't breathe like this 24 hours a day. It's only, you know, a specific decision. But the breath literally changes your whole nervous system when you do it. So by making a decision to breathe, you change your entire nervous system, calming it down um, through very powerful stimulation of the vagus nerve, which starts the whole calming of your body. So it's a powerful decision using your brain to change both your brain and your body. Now, it's really, uh, you know, it's a really helpful tool and, um, you know, I want to spend a couple of minutes just sort of talking about some of your books and, you know, where people can uh, can access a little bit more of this information. 
Excellent. Um, well, the, the book that I recently wrote for the general public is called The Ten Best Anxiety Busters. I think it's very accessible, easy for people to read, read a chapter at a time. Uh, there's always a clinical, vin- well, there's always not a clinical vignette, there's a vignette of uh, people experiencing anxiety and then some discussion about how to get rid of that type of anxiety. There are ten techniques that cover panic generalized anxiety, which is worrying primarily, and um, also social anxiety. The books are published by W.W. W. Norton. They're available through W.W. W. Norton. They're available on Amazon. You can go to my website to look at what's available. It's, and my website is my name, margaretwarenberg.com. Problem is spelling that if you don't know how. Um, but you could look up the 10 best ever anxiety management techniques and find my name there. I also wrote a book called The 10 Best Ever Depression Management Techniques. And those two books, except for talking about sleeping, exercising, and eating right, they're entirely different in terms of the techniques they offer you. It's not the same book with a different title. So there's a lot of data there. And uh, my website, again, is margaretwarenberg.com. Uh, W.W. Norton is my publisher. And my books are available through Norton's website or on Amazon. Fantastic. Well, uh, I really appreciated having you on the show today. I think we, we, you've shared a lot of really helpful um, techniques and information for folks about anxiety and depression. And I want to thank all of our listeners for joining in today. Uh, we hope to see you at the same time next week. We appreciate you joining us today for One Hour at a Time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.